Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. He koonai pūrangi tēnei nā te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. There was like a really good video that made the rounds recently. It was um, Moana Manipoto interviewing Jermaine Clement and people were really moved by it. This is writer Zeming Mok talking about a video clip she saw recently on social media. It had Flight of the Concord star Jermaine Clement in it, but it wasn't comedy. No, it was more personal. When I was a kid with my grandma, she would take us and we had a few marae we'd visit and sometimes she would just say, we're going to visit your auntie. And then you might be in the car for five hours going somewhere up north. And then we go to family reunions, which I, you know, I loved as a kid, actually. Much te reo around then? Um, kaore. Not really. Uh, my grandma didn't speak Māori. She was of the generation that um, would be punished at school if she's, you know, that was her first language, but, uh, you know. <laughs> they get hit if they spoke. For Zeming Mok, that clip brought to mind the Uyghur Muslims and the horrendous treatment so many are suffering in China. Like, imagine all our Jermaines, all our Taikas, um, all our Moana Maniputas, um, they're all in a concentration camp. All, and after they've done their time in concentration camp, they're going to be made to work in a factory. That's what's happening, you know, that um, all the writers, all the intellectuals, all the professionals... Like, it's nothing to do with terrorism or state security. It's a really specific genocide campaign to extinguish the culture of an Indigenous people. Xinjiang, a vast region of mountains and deserts in the northwest of China, is six times the size of New Zealand. China doesn't want the world to see Xinjiang up close. To see the crackdown, it calls an answer to terrorism. The BBC has seen new, detailed satellite analysis of dozens of suspected camps across Xinjiang. What appears to be the largest imprisonment of people on the basis of religion since the Holocaust. Wow, look at this. It's like a city. A brother, cousin, mother or friend is missing, sometimes for years. Xinjiang is home to the Uyghurs. These are Turkic people, quite different from the Han Chinese, who make up more than 90% of China's population. Different language, different culture, and we have religious beliefs. It's uh, Muslim, Islam. And they look quite different from Han Chinese too. Yes, yes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So if anyone sees me as a face, and uh, I'm saying I'm Chinese, but no one really believes that. Yeah. Yeah. This is a young man we're calling Sam. He's a New Zealand resident, but of course Sam is not his real name. We've disguised his voice too. Even here in New Zealand, he doesn't feel safe. So that's why I'm not using any Chinese social medias, apps and anything, because that data security is one of the most important things for me to protect my privacy. 
I cannot feel really safe because uh, last time I had one interview and just after that interview, I received a phone call from Embassy of China in New Zealand. And I just, it really frightened me, like somebody is monitoring me in even in New Zealand. You see, yeah, it's like a lack of like a safety here, even for me. Yeah. Mm. Are we paranoid? The things that were happening to me, breaking in my office and a series of other events, they were designed to scare me. Or is the Chinese Communist Party out to get us? The choice is not between Washington and Beijing. The choice is between sovereignty and servitude. From RNZ and Bird of Paradise Productions, this is Red Line. I'm John Daniel. And I'm Guy Espiner. In this four-part series, we're asking, can New Zealand continue to walk the thin red line between what some see as an evil empire? We know that they are slaves. We also know that they're being used to harvest organs. But others see as our greatest economic opportunity in the centre of a new world order. I do have a lot of respect for the things that they're doing. I mean, they have a vision. They are literally going to build a kind of platform from China through to Europe. I met with Sam in early 2021. I'd spent a couple of months talking with Amnesty International, seeing if we could speak with New Zealand Uyghurs, but most were simply too afraid to talk. And Sam fears that his family are among the one million Uyghurs who are in concentration camps in China. Since 2019... He's lost contact with them entirely. I cannot call. Even I called, there nobody picking up the phone. Really? And yeah, I have no idea what's going on and what happened to my families. Yeah. Uh, are we talking about your your mum and dad? Or yes, yes, my whole families. Yeah, I think our family is really good people, and we don't have any like illegal things or don't have any criminal or any convictions, any charges, nothing else, and. Uh, I'm not sure they are in the concentration camps or not. I'm not really sure that because I cannot get any information about that yet. So just to be clear, you're not certain whether your mother and father are in concentration camps or not? Yes, yes, I'm not sure that, yeah. And when you try to ring them, you can't get hold of them? Yeah, I cannot get any contacts, yes. Mm. Yes, yes, it's really heartbreaking and it's not only me and I believe a lot of Uyghurs in other countries also facing the same issues. They cannot find any relatives, any friends or anyone and how they're doing in China and what kind of living conditions and where they are and there's no clue. Chinese diplomats in New Zealand refused to speak to us for this podcast, despite repeated requests. But others around the world, such as China's ambassador to Britain, Liu Xiaoming, have insisted Uyghurs are not being persecuted. This is not true. The facts just show the opposite. People in Xinjiang enjoy happy life. Here he is on the BBC's Andrew Ma show. China, of course, is strongly uh, opposed to any torture, any persecution, and uh, and the discrimination of any ethnic group people. This is not the case in China. There's no such a, 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 a concentration camp in Xinjiang. Can I ask you why people are kneeling, blindfolded and shaven and being led to trains in modern China? Why, what, what is going on there? 
I do not know where you get this uh, videotape. You know, sometimes you have a transmit, uh, your transfer of a prisons and the prisoners. But Sam makes the comparison we've heard many times making this podcast, likening what the CCP is doing in Xinjiang to the Holocaust. <laughs> What happening in China in Xinjiang region is just like that Nazi Germans doing in that world war. So they just take people to that concentration camps without any reason and without any charges. A lot of like uh, university teachers, doctors, and they held in the concentration camps for re-education. I just cannot understand because that per- that people are like really famous and they're really doing good job in universities in Xinjiang region. So I can't understand why is the reason for send them to the concentration camps. China expert Anne-Marie Brady believes comparisons with Nazi Germany are valid. It definitely has parallels with how the Nazis treated the Jews. Uh, there are uh, estimated uh, over a million uh, Uyghur men and women in what look like concentration camps, and now some of them are being moved into jails, and their children are in orphanages. Uh, There is documented uh, evidence on the women being sterilised, the people who are coming out of these um, camps are uh, show signs of torture. One by one, Western countries are labelling it a genocide. America came to that verdict in January 2021 on Donald Trump's last day in office. Joe Biden's new Secretary of State, Anthony Blinken, doubled down. On the Uyghurs, I think we're, we're, we're very much uh, in agreement. And the... Um, Forcing men, women, and children into concentration camps, trying to, in effect, re-educate them uh, to be uh, adherence to the uh, ideology of the Chinese Communist Party. All of that speaks uh, to uh, to an effort to to commit genocide. And in April, Britain followed suit, passing a motion in Parliament. That this House believes that Uyghurs and other ethnic and religious minorities in the Xinjiang Uyghur Autonomous Region are suffering crimes against humanity and genocide. Shortly after that, in May of 2021, the New Zealand Parliament also condemned China's actions against Uyghurs in Xinjiang, although New Zealand refused to call it a genocide. While the New Zealand government has grave concerns about the human rights situation in Xinjiang, we have not formally designated the situation as constituting a genocide. And a formal legal determination should only be reached following a rigorous assessment on the basis of international law. While New Zealand's Foreign Minister Nanaia Mahuta was choosing her words carefully, a hugely influential British political figure created his own YouTube video titled New Zealand Sells Its Soul to China. It's been watched by over 100,000 people. The absolutely shocking, stunning statement that has come from the New Zealand Foreign Minister, backed up by the New Zealand Prime Minister, Jacinda Ahern, that effectively they are launching a new close alliance with China and they are effectively leaving 
the Five Eyes Intelligence Network. We have just lost one of our closest and oldest allies in the world because they're now completely in the hands of the Chinese Communist Party. Pick up the truck. That's Nigel Farage. Yes, the Brexit champion, Nigel Farage. Same one. Yeah, who's so up to speed on this, he doesn't know the name of our Prime Minister, Jacinda Ahern. I mean, I'm all for weighing different viewpoints, but the day we take foreign policy insights from Nigel Farage, the United Front aren't the only ones pushing misinformation. Well, of course, New Zealand isn't leaving Five Eyes or forming a new alliance with China. It's just plain wrong. And it's not like we haven't diverged from the Western alliance in the past. We went nuclear-free in the mid-1980s and got booted out of ANZUS, but we stayed in Five Eyes. Yeah, we came under pressure then and we're coming under some pressure again now. And it's not just Nigel Farage. It comes from a number of populist politicians and media commentators in the Five Eyes countries. And it stems from these comments. The Five Eyes has a particular remit and to call on uh, to expand the remit of the Five Eyes for other things, such as, for example, uh, the uh, uh, position that we've taken in relation to Hong Kong expands the remit of what the Five Eyes was set up to do and we're not prepared to do that. That's Nanaya Mahuta again, making the point that the Five Eyes Alliance is an intelligence-sharing relationship, not some sort of agreement for a shared foreign policy. And she was making this point in the media conference after her long-awaited first major speech on China in April of 2021. Much of Mahuta's speech focused on how close the two countries have become, but there was a mild rebuke. There are some things on which New Zealand and China do not, cannot and will not agree. Sometimes we will therefore find it necessary to speak out publicly on issues, like we have on developments in Hong Kong, the treatment of the Uyghurs in Xinjiang, and cyber incidents. You can see that as careful diplomatic language, or criticise it for being too weak, but it's certainly a stark contrast to some of the language being thrown around across the Tasman. Welcome back. One of Australia's most powerful national security leaders is sounding the alarm over a war with China. The chances of a war involving Australia and China are only rising, according to former Defence Minister Chris Pine. Not a cyber war, but a real one. Do you share that view? I I don't think it uh, should be discounted. I think China has been very clear about reunification. Australia's always worn that badge, I think, with quite a lot of honour that they're the sheriff of the South. And their their ongoing membership of ANZUS has always meant that they've been the the sort of Southern Hemisphere focal point for US policy. Remember, John Key was Prime Minister in the decade New Zealand and China got really close. And because he's out of office now, he's free to talk, and that makes him a very valuable voice in this series. Key says Australia's relationship with China is now in a bad place, and he's concerned that could drift across the Tasman. Show me an example of where you ice someone out and you have a better relationship and you're more influential. Don't think you can point to one of those. Um, We can all have friends we never talk to again, but by the time I looked, you don't have much influence in their life after that. Secondly, um, really, are we going to cut off our biggest market? So I guess I guess my point is just, you know, what's the counterfactual? The counterfactual is we turn our back on our largest market and we say, we don't like you anymore, we don't like what you're doing in a couple of areas, so I tell you what, knock your socks off, go and buy all that, that um, dairy, those dairy products from Ireland and Holland. 
You're starting to get won over by Key again, aren't you? Just like you were in it too. Well, he he is persuasive, but it's also an authentic voice. There's no guile in it. From the get-go, he said it's a commercial relationship with China. And if you're thinking it, he knows you're thinking it. Some people say, oh, God, the guy's just an investment banker through and through. You know, that's all he's still thinking about is money, doesn't care about anything else. And all I'd say to you is I'm not an idiot, you know. But I I do think that that New Zealand companies and New Zealand employees and New Zealand consumers have massively benefited from this relationship. I don't think we've done that by selling our soul. I think we've continued to stand up for the things we believe in. And I do think that... It would be easy for us to drift into the place where the others are at. By others, he means Australia and the US and their trade wars with China over the past year or so. So, sure, he's certainly confident, I'll give him that. Virtually all the other Western leaders and former leaders, including all his old centre-right mates, are very dark on China. I know. I put that to him. To circle back to where we began this, um, which was you talking about how a lot of other um, leaders and former leaders of countries that you respect, uh, our traditional allies, are saying, are dirty on China. Do you catch yourself every now and then? Do you think I'm right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. I ask the think... obvious question. Yeah, yeah. No, no, I do think I'm right because, and I think history will prove me to be right. As I said to you, I'm not going to change my view because all of a sudden a bunch of leaders that I used to hang around with who thought China were good now all of a sudden think they're not so good. Now, maybe they're right, maybe they are, but I, I don't believe they are. And and I think that um, any more than I think that people who think that capitalism is no longer a good idea or democracy will fail or all technology is bad or that Mark Zuckerberg lies in bed at night dreaming about how he can you know, understand you even better than you can understand yourself for nefarious reasons. I mean, I just, I don't know. I, I just don't believe those things. I'm, I, I'm not a sort of, you know, kind of silver tinfoil hat conspiracy kind of guy. I, I, I think that they are what they are. They are a big country that used to have the largest economy in the world that's spent, you know, centuries really... Um, on ice. There are many things, but a global force for evil is not one of them, in my view. So he's answered our question. Are we paranoid or is the CCP out to get us? It's paranoia. It's a conspiracy theory. (laughs) The thing is, he is so close to China. He is literally on Xi Jinping's Christmas card list. Calls me a friend, and I think he sort of means that. So you're a friend of Xi Jinping? Well, I mean, I don't want to overstate things. He might take me off his Christmas card list, but he does send one every year. And he's still using that relationship to further his business interests. He told you the story. So it was late last year, and I do some work for Comcast, and we're build, we own Universal. We own NBC Universal, biggest broadcast in the world. So we, we um, are building a Universal theme park in Beijing. We're building the equivalent of Universal Orlando in Beijing. It's amazing. And um, anyway, it's billions and billions of dollars. So... Anyway, we have Chinese partners, and and um, Brian Roberts, who's the chair and CEO of um, Comcast, wanted to go and see Xi Jinping. So I said, "Fine, we'll see if we can set up." And we set up the meeting. He said, "Yeah, no problems. Come on." And anyway, we go along. We're in the great hall of the people, and it's very much like the old days of being prime minister. You're in the waiting room, very, very same, exactly same waiting room as when I was prime minister. And I walk in there, and we're walking along. Brian and I are walking together, and um, there's this massive media pack outside the door of where the president is and I turned to him and I said must be someone important in there because um, they'll be waiting for him to come out and he goes oh, alright and then I go you know, I promise to come in you know, but I wander in and um, 
turned out, of course, it was for me. <laughs> Sorry, at one level, I have a personal relationship that he certainly calls up all the media. And um, the front page of the, I think it was the, well, all the, all the Chinese newspapers was door still open for key. It was quite a nice headline, actually. I mean, that is pretty incredible. He's out of office, but can still get the sort of access that most current leaders of far bigger countries couldn't hope to get to one of the most powerful people on the planet. And isn't that how the CCP's influence game works? They flatter influential people and reward them for seeing the world their way. Well, I guess like so much in this story, it comes down to perception. Intelligence officers are people who smell flowers and then go looking for the funeral. Rhys Ball is a former SIS intelligence officer who now lectures on security studies at Massey University. He's quoting former CIA boss John McLaughlin there. They're, they're trained um, and, and most of the time are required to look for trouble. And quite often they get in trouble themselves if they don't find it. So, so intelligence officers are kind of professional cynics. They're looking for things that, are, that aren't necessarily uh, displayed overtly. So it is easy to be cynical about China because we don't really understand the way they operate. There's such a big gap in language and culture. At the same time, if it's your responsibility to protect the country, you can't afford to be naive. So have they infiltrated New Zealand's political systems? Again, that would be one of their target areas. Now, you've seen examples of what has happened in Australia where there is clear evidence of that infiltration. And and this is what intelligence organisations or countries or states do. They will recruit people who are already within these target organisations in order to to get them to provide the intelligence or the secret reports or the information or ideas or, or policy directions in which countries are going to take which have an influence on the on on their own sort of country or have an impact and it's about knowing in advance what a country is sort of thinking and you and if you can't recruit someone who's already there then you look to infiltrate someone um, and facilitate sort of movements so that you can to use the the intelligence terminology penetrate an organisation or, or an entity. So again, there is there are suggestions that sort of New Zealand hasn't been immune from this sort of activity. This is John by. Yang. Yeah, yeah. How absolutely. worried were you about about that? I mean, on the face of it, it did look uh, fairly suspicious, didn't it? Well, it, it generated some significant teeth sucking on my part. I would suggest. And again, what, why? Well, if it walks like a duck talks like a duck, looks like a duck, then, you know, chances are, it is a duck. Zhang Yang was a National Party List MP between 2011 and 2020. In 2017, Newsroom published an exclusive investigation 10 days out from the election. It was a ripper. But in this story we ask, who is the real Jen Young? Why has our SIS taken an interest in him? And why does his military intelligence background in China not seem to appear on any of his official CVs? The National Party MP had studied, then taught at Chinese military schools before moving to New Zealand and had been under investigation by our spy agency. 
Lawrence, you are following me. Um, yes, we've been trying to talk to you for three days. Sorry, I have no comment. We've been trying to talk to you for three days. We need to talk to you about your links with Chinese military intelligence. That's journalist Mark Jennings there reporting for Newsroom. And though Yang wouldn't talk to Newsroom, he held a press conference after the story broke, denying he was a spy. I refute any allegations that question my loyalty to New Zealand. But he admitted that some of his students did go on to be spies. If you define those uh, cadets or students as spies, yes, then I was teaching spies. For Financial Times journalist Jamil Andalini, who worked on that story with Newsroom, it raised serious questions. It really astonished me to find that someone who had spent 15 years in China's military intelligence establishment, not only in parliament, but he was also at one point on the Select Committee for Foreign Affairs, Defence and Trade, which is is just sort of mind-boggling when you think about it. Interestingly, like almost all of the major stories about CCP influence in New Zealand, it started with Anne-Marie Brady, or at least she says it did. I certainly don't go around asking journalists who their sources are, but quite unprompted, Professor Brady brought it up with me, saying that in the course of her research, she discovered the details of Zhang Yang's past and went to the media. When I first um, started um, realising that what I'd discovered in this research paper, it's called the Magic Weapons Paper, was you know well above and beyond what an academic could handle, and we could definitely did not want to wait three years for academic publication. The first journalist I talked to, I asked him how old was he, and he was a bit surprised. It's because I wanted to know did he live through the Cold War era? It was Mark Jennings? He told me his age, and I said, "Okay, I can talk to you." So, is that important? Does the fact that the source of the story was once again ultimately Anne-Marie Brady, does that diminish it at all? No, not at all. I mean, Mark Jennings is an excellent journalist. This was a bloody good story. I wish I'd got it. But it is interesting that most of these roads lead back to Professor Brady. Right, so now you're the one asking the interesting questions. (laughs) Maybe I'm getting paranoid. No, I, I guess it's important for two reasons. Professor Brady is the source of almost all these stories calling out CCP influence. That means, A, she's virtually the only one with the language skills and the knowledge to do this in New Zealand, and B, she does see the world through a certain lens, and I think it's fair to factor that into any assessment. Yeah, but most importantly, was Zhang Yang a spy? You're not going to get the answer talking to him. He wouldn't talk to Newsroom and he's avoided the media for years on this. Yeah, Q&A reporter Fenna Owen spent two years trying to talk to him. After another unanswered interview request to Young Jian in early June, I decided it was time to go to his office in Auckland. I wondered whether he would be around uh, in the next few days. I'm not sure, but I think you can write to him. Yes, yes, I've written to him. I've been writing to him for two years. So Zhang Yang won't talk, but his former boss will. Did John Key have a spy in his ranks? So I reckon that bit's nonsense. So, you know, I know all, obviously intimately, all of the details of the claims and counterclaims. And all I can tell you, I can tell you, is that um, I spent more than enough time to look at every detail of that. And I don't believe there is any basis for that claim. And I'd say that with some quite authority. Not only was John Key Prime Minister and leader of the National Party, he was also the minister in charge of the SIS at the time. Key says Zhang Yang was quite open with the party about his background. 
he was quite upfront with us. So that was the first point. There was no mystery or you know, you know, gotcha moment there, right? I don't want to speak ill of him as an MP because he was a really good MP, but honestly, if he's a spy, he's the least inquisitive spy I've ever met. I mean, you know, it wasn't obvious to me he was pumping me for information or wanting to get access to something else. He's a member of the Chinese community, and they do lots of community events. They mix with lots of people. Um, do Chinese donors give money to all political parties? Absolutely they do. Why do they do that? It's partly their culture. But but don't you do it for influence? No, I think they kind look. They probably come out of a system that where the the government is amazingly powerful and influential, right? The, the argument used to be this is what Pansy Wong used to say to me was that a lot of people that were of Chinese ethnicity didn't vote at all because they were always worried that the government would know how they voted, and it was just part of their psyche. It wasn't because they had any evidence to point to that. They'd come but from an authoritarian. They'd regime. come from yeah, and so my point really is that. I think, yeah. Do, are you asking me whether you think Chinese people believe that the government is massively influential and so therefore if you are a friend of the government, then that's a good thing? They probably do think that. But but was there any evidence that it actually ever changed anything? In my view, no. Why was the SIS looking at Zhang Yang then? Well, because I, I can't go into all of the details, but my, my, my point is just that there were... There, there, there are, Always, you know, if there's a flag that's raised for any particular reason, it's investigated. And all I'm telling you is I, I am very, very comfortable that he is absolutely above board. Ultimately, Key claims that as Prime Minister and SIS Minister, there's no way he would have let a CCP spy remain in the National Party ranks. You would make a fair assumption, wouldn't you, that unless I was completely sleeping in the you know, 18 hours a day I was in the office, that I would have asked questions, looked at things, sought answers, wanted clarification, wanted to understand everything, and I'm very comfortable with the decisions I made, and I would continue to make them. So, do you buy that? I don't think it's good enough to ask us just to take it on trust. National have a lot to lose. Key saying he wouldn't have been a very good spy because he wasn't very inquisitive is laughable. Either John Key doesn't know the first thing about spying or he's turning it into a joke. Obviously we've asked our intelligence services for information on Zhang Yang through Official Information Act requests, but we've been turned down. Yeah, the SIS won't even say whether or not they have any information on him. Well, if they haven't, they've been asleep at the wheel. I think we do need to know if our government was penetrated by a Chinese spy. And I really struggle with understanding why the media haven't been given more by the intelligence services. If he is innocent, you'd think Zhang Yang would be keen to have the information released because that suspicion still lingers, even though he retired from politics, at the 2020 election. There's an intriguing footnote to this saga. The veteran political journalist Richard Harmon says National and Labour cooked up a deal so that both their ethnic Chinese MPs would resign before the 2020 election. Yeah, both Zhang Yang from National and Raymond Ho from Labour had been suspected of being too close to the CCP. And they resigned within 11 days of each other in July 2020. Anne-Marie Brady has long been concerned that National and Labour are selecting CCP-aligned MPs, and she told them that at the Select Committee inquiry into foreign interference in New Zealand politics. What you are doing time and again is engaging with CCP United Front organisations, 
and you are selecting candidates who are active in United Front um, work organisations. And it's not only Anne-Marie Brady saying this. The kinds of people who rise through the ranks and are seen as valuable by um, the two main parties uh, are people who are, can, are effective fundraisers as opposed to effective advocates for community interests. You see, you've seen, like, you know, Chinese politicians uh, on both sides of the aisle um, essentially being like the money bag men for those two main parties. But in what sense have they advanced the interests of Asian migrants in this country? Like, they have not, <laughs> you know? What have they done for the actual people? They have done nothing. This is Zeming Mok lamenting the quality of Chinese politicians in New Zealand. It's embarrassing. And it's like, it really diminishes the mana of those politicians in our eyes. We see them, you know, running around being the translator for Xi Jinping or raking in the cash through whatever community groups they've set up, but not doing the things that they know we need them to do for the communities. It's embarrassing. We expect a little better because, like, Chinese people are meant to be, like, high achievers. And so we see these, like, Chinese politicians being real mediocre. (laughs) We tried to speak to former Labour MP Raymond Hoare. He never replied. The government's only current ethnic Chinese MP, Nacy Chen, said, go and speak to the Foreign Minister Nanai Mahuta. We went to Mahuta. She said, speak to the Prime Minister. We went to the Prime Minister's office. They said, we'll tell Mahuta to do the interview. And she still refused. But one government MP has spoken out. I'm concerned that um, there appears to be a million uh, Uyghur um, being imprisoned in what they call education camps, but essentially um, used as slaves to pick cotton. I mean, the world has seen this before, and we outlawed it. This is Labour MP Lewis Wall. She has some cover here. She's one of two New Zealand MPs, one from Labour, one from National, who are part of the International Parliamentary Alliance on China. It's a network of more than 200 MPs and former MPs from 20 parliaments around the world. Louisa Wall thinks New Zealand should be doing much more to counter the slave labour trade from Xinjiang. What um, the UK and Canada have done is they've got modern slavery acts and they want to ensure the corporates who are taking those raw materials actually ensuring that the production of those raw materials comply with their modern slavery act. Louisa Wall also goes where no other government MP is prepared to go into the claims of organ harvesting, taking the organs of prisoners and political dissidents and selling them on. It's not just some wild allegation. An independent People's Tribunal, chaired by Sir Geoffrey Neese, a British QC, has concluded this is exactly what's happening. Geoffrey Neese previously worked with the International Criminal Court. He was the lead prosecutor in the war crimes trial of former Serbian President Slobodan Milosevic in The Hague. On organ harvesting, he did this huge report called the China Tribunal that said that the killing of political prisoners for organ transplants is continuing in China and that many people have died indescribably hideous deaths in the process. Victim for victim and death for death, the gassing of the Jews by the Nazis, the massacre of the Khmer Rouge or the butchery to death of the Rwanda Tutsis may not be worse than cutting out the hearts, other organs and the very souls of living, blameless, 
harmless, peaceable people. Any who interact in any substantial way with the PRC should now recognize that they are, to the extent revealed in this judgment, interacting with a criminal state. And again, the comparison with Nazi Germany, which is hard to accept too, isn't it? Like that saying that the first person to raise Hitler loses the argument. Yeah, when you're talking about harvesting human organs, it's so horrific that it's hard to comprehend. Here's Lewis of Wall again. The Uyghur population and also the Falun Gong uh, population um, both have been designated as prisoners of conscience in China. It means the ramifications for those two groups specifically um, has been investigated. And uh, we know that they are slaves. Uh, we also know that um, they're being used to harvest organs. That, that, that is part of a capitalist system. Part of a capitalist system? How? Because somebody wants to buy them. I mean, that's the reality of harvesting organs by force, is that there has to be a market that wants to purchase those organs. Uh, and based on a report from uh, Lord Justice Nice from the UK, we now know that forced organ harvesting is occurring to service a global uh, market where people are wanting hearts, lungs, eyes, skin. Now, it's important to remember that these horrendous allegations are made against a political party, the CCP, not the Chinese people. Yeah, that's worried me right through making this series, this idea that stirring all this up can somehow help unleash a tide of racism against Asian people. But again, I defer to Zeming Mok. You know, we have been living in a racist storm in this country for hundreds of years. Yeah, we got some more, like, racism during COVID. That would have happened with or without any political angle on genocide whatsoever. You know, people will use any excuse. That's not an excuse for us to not do the right thing. It's kind of cowardly, you know, like for us as Chinese people. The Germans went through something after World War II. They had to assimilate the reality of what they had been responsible for. Chinese people need to deal with that too. Han Chinese. It's a big ask. Not everyone's re- not, hardly anyone's ready for that, you know. Chinese people in this country, even to the extent that they're political, that they're woke, they're left, they want to be aligned with the good guys. They want to talk about colonisation, how we all suffered under colonisation. Like, they want to align themselves with the decolonial left, we have to also accept that there is Han supremacy going on. There's a genocide happening in our names for our culture using our language. The fact that's happening is really hurtful. <laughs> yeah, the fact that that's happening is really hurtful because it taints your relationship with your own culture. That's a personal reckoning, 
But what about New Zealanders with no connection to China? What do we do? Open our eyes, I guess. Wake up to the dangers of the CCP. That's what the dissidents have been telling us all along. That was their message that they were trying to take to Wellington that day when two of them died in the car crash. Yeah, wake up, but without tipping into paranoia, because that's another very real danger. I think we've seen that there was no Chinese state conspiracy behind that crash. Yeah, and no evidence that the Anne-Marie Brady car tampering allegations were anything to do with China either. Although the break-ins to her house and office are a lot more suspicious and could well have been the work of someone at least affiliated to the CCP who didn't like the blowtorch she was putting on them. Mm. Those CCP influence activities are hard to spot. I guess that's why the CCP calls them magic weapons. I often felt during this series that we'd seen lots of magic weapons but no smoking gun. In a story where everyone's motives are being questioned, there's been quite a bit of noise about what's really behind Professor Brady's views. And you put that to her. Yeah, while we were making this podcast, a lot of people asked me whether Anne-Marie Brady received any funding from American sources. The short answer is no. She does have an honorary position at the Woodrow Wilson Centre. It's a big American think tank. But she says she doesn't get any money from them. No, and I never did, except from that one uh, nine-month period when I was living in Washington, D.C., and I was a residential fellow. Only income I have is my salary at the University of Canterbury, which is paid by New Zealand taxpayers. So, what about the big one, though? The one we asked at the top of every episode. Are we paranoid? Or are the CCP out to get us? Well, just because you're paranoid doesn't mean they aren't out to get you. I mean, I, th- I think the thrust of Anne-Marie Brady's theory is really important. How the CCP uses these hidden United Front groups to infiltrate politics and business and universities to try and bring people around to their way of thinking. I reckon she might take it a little far at times, but yeah, I think we really do need to watch out for that. Yeah, the United Front and those influence operations are definitely something to watch out for. Although... We need to remember that intelligence work, propaganda and pushing a message that suits your country's interests, we do the same thing, and so do our allies. Yeah, you get the feeling that some of them are trying to push us off this thin red line that we're still walking between China and the West to get us to take sides in a way that suits them but doesn't suit us. That's why we have an independent foreign policy. And look, China isn't helping itself, particularly with the terrible things that are happening in Xinjiang. It's turning public opinion around the world against them. You have to hope this isn't going to harden into a justification for conflict. That's the other kind of red line, isn't it? The diplomatic red line drawn by politicians and generals who say to the other side, you can't cross this. And then they do, and we're all in unknown territory. I guess the other thing is, We need to know and learn a lot more about China. It's our biggest trading partner, and yet most of us haven't a clue about the language and the culture and the history. After nearly a year of looking at all this stuff, I still feel like a complete novice on China. And in my head, I keep coming back to the story that really shows all the stuff we don't know, we don't see. You know that guy, Henry Liu, the translator? Yeah, he translated for all those prime ministers dealing with China from 
Jeffrey Palmer in the late 1980s. Yeah, so he, he told me the story. You, you know how China, in the middle of that big scrap with Australia, it delivered that message, that list to the Australian government, the list of things that had done wrong. Oh, that's right, the list of sins. Yeah, the list of 14 sins. 14 is inauspicious in Chinese, but how many people are picking that up? I don't know. So a normal monolingual Australian would not know that. Before we go any further, how bad is 14? <laughs> I mean, if you... If you is if it worse than our 13? Or? Oh, yeah, worse than, your thir- worse than our 13. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Just pretty bad? It's pretty bad. Yes, it's 14 worst, is pretty bad. Is it the worst number going? Well, po- fo- 14 means death. Oh. Four is... Anything that ends with four is death. Oh. Yes. Redline is made by RNZ and Bird of Paradise Productions. It's hosted and produced by Guy Nespinner and me, John Daniel. All RNZ podcasts are available free on Apple, Spotify, iHeart or wherever you get your podcast. And that includes our other series, The Service, which investigates New Zealand's spy agency, the SIS, during the Cold War and the previously untold story of a raid on the Czechoslovakian embassy in the 1980s. Our thanks to all the people who spoke to us for this series and were so generous with their time and insights, especially the Chinese dissident community in New Zealand. The sound engineer on Redline is Blair Stagpole. Producer and studio director is Justin Gregory. And our executive producers are Veronica Schmidt and Tim Watkin. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.